Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Absolutely. Here we are. We're back again. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. This is going to be episode number 42. And I hope you enjoyed the last episode. A lot of uh, good history to be talked about uh, there in that uh, the previous episode. Well, the previous two episodes, I suppose. They kind of uh, were joined together, more or less. Similar topic. Uh, the previous episode really expanded on the one that came before in some regard. But good stuff, I think, nonetheless. You know, recent events compel me to articulate once more just how important it is to learn the lessons from history. And not, you know, not everything is perfect, you know, the the lessons that the Founding Fathers have to teach us. The Founding Fathers were not perfect, and, you know, some of the things that they did, some of the things that they said were not perfect, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think that amongst a lot of them, there certainly was a heck of a lot more good than bad. John Adams is definitely an example of that as is, I believe, Samuel Adams and people like them. You know, and like I said, recent events, you know, bring to mind certain things, you know, the the importance of this material. Like, for example, the the previous two episodes really did try try to drive home this concept of a well-regulated militia. And, and there's a little piece of something that I said in that in those two episodes, or at least in one of them. And I'd said it before on a on a in a much older episode of the podcast. I forget exactly which one it was. That that concept of a well-regulated militia. I said you cannot constitute that at the 11th hour. In other words, you can't just bring that into being whenever you darn well please. It's not like, you know, one day you don't have a well-regulated militia and the next day you decide, oh, let's have a well-regulated militia and it just materializes. That does It doesn't happen that way. And I made sure to point out in some of the letters that we're reading that the Founding Fathers had prepared for quite some time studying the military arts and practicing military-style exercises, or at least practice with with firearms, etc., for a good long time leading up to what happens in 1775, which is when the British military invades and begins to go out into the countryside to do all sorts of really bad things. The well-regulated militia was there, and it was ready to act because it had prepared for a long time for something of that nature. That's a lesson from history. You have to prepare the well-regulated militia. You cannot just form it up at the last minute at the 11th hour. And isn't there an example that we're seeing about that right now? Perhaps. You know, this isn't a current events podcast. So I, I, I sometimes I talk about things a little bit vague or I kind of elude to things, but I don't really get into the substance of it. And there's reasons for that because I don't want this to be a current events podcast. But the reason why I'm talking about it now, and if it's any mystery to you what it is that I'm talking about, some future, some pe- person listening to this episode like five years in the future might be wondering what the heck was going on at that time that he was talking about. Eastern Europe, uh, basically, in a nutshell, 2022, figure it out. You know, there's all kinds of lessons to be had from the Founding Fathers, and the reason why I mention Eastern Europe right now is because the lessons are standing right there for everybody in the world to see. You know, they're right there. They're in the books, they're in the letters, they're in the pages of history. And if you want to know how the Founding Fathers did it, it's right there. It's not complicated. But nobody reads this stuff. Nobody studies this stuff, except a very few people. Relatively, honestly, the people who study this stuff in depth, even in the population of the United States, represent a tiny, tiny little handful of people. 
And congratulations, you folks who listen to this podcast, you are amongst them because you're on my you're on our study group here on this podcast. This is our study group. You know, and this 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 podcast, this study group makes it really really easy to get a hold of this material. So, you know, the message, the lesson from history, the lesson from the founding fathers is basically this, you know, to any country out there that wants to remain free. I mean, George Washington said it. He articulated it as, quote, Resolved that this committee do concur in opinion with the Provincial Committee of the Province of Maryland that a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other freemen is the natural strength and only staple security of a free government, end quote. That comes from the Resolutions of Fairfax County from 1775. And, you know, the lesson is to every free country out there, to every country that considers itself free, you better pay attention. Quit screwing around. Quit playing games. Quit behaving like children. Yes, I said it. You know, life is not a game. It's serious, and sometimes it's bloody and brutal. And, you know, this podcast is really all about that. It's all about reality. It's not about games. And that's that's part of the reason why, you know, the, the vast majority of people who listen to podcasts will never, ever listen to this podcast for any length of time. And I know I knew that going into it. It wasn't like I expected this to be a popular podcast by any stretch of the imagination. I always knew that it was going to be a um, a very small group of people that ever listened to it. And and you know, number one, it's a history podcast, and number two, this is not um, you know cheer yourself up in the morning kind of material. This is a uh, th- this causes people to confront reality, and a lot of times people want to want to turn away from reality. They want to cast their eyes to something else a little bit less serious and. When that, when you do that, you know, really bad things tend to happen. But I just wanted to make that point again at the outset of this podcast, you know, so that folks understand these lessons are real. George Washington was right about that. So was Mr. Adams. You know, we've read so many letters from Mr. Adams at this point that talks about this, about the the well-regulated militia and all these things. Very important, very serious. And people are finding out just how important a well-regulated militia is, aren't they? This is not a joke. This is serious. This is life and death. So my, 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 my message to the, and frankly speaking, I firmly believe this, the message from the founding fathers to countries all over the world, quit playing games. Time to take things seriously. And on that note, we are going to have a fantastic podcast episode here today. Uh, as you can gather from the title of this episode, this is going to be a study of the, some of the writings of Abigail Adams. One letter, one letter in particular we're going to get into. And, you know, just like John Adams, Abigail Adams is a very intelligent person. She's very articulate, very sharp, and the United States of America is lucky to have had Abigail Adams there at the beginning. She set an example for American women from the very start, and what a great example it was. And I really wish, you know, I really wish more parents today would stop trying to sell their daughters on these superheroes that show up in movies and stuff like that, and start selling them on these real heroes from out of history like an Abigail Adams. Because there are real heroes to be had. You may not like her religion. You may not like that she was a Christian woman. You may not like that she had virtue. But so what? She was very intelligent, very articulate, and she stood her ground. And she knew what to fight for. And we're going to find out real quick on this episode how strong an advocate for liberty that Abigail Adams was. And thank goodness for Abigail Adams. She's going to be our guest on the podcast today. And we are going to go live to Abigail Adams from 1775. And we are going to do that right now. Yes, 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 yes. You know, this may not be a current events podcast, and thank goodness for that. But I tell you, you know, the lessons from the Founding Fathers, they transcend the ages. 
and they're applicable to so many things that happen in the real world. And as long as you're not living in fantasy land, as long as you take your head out of the Disney World fantasy land way of living, which a lot of people unfortunately engage in, then uh, you'll see it clear as a de- clear as a bell that what the Founding Fathers have to teach us is, is really so, so accurate to just about any period of time in history because it's just it's just people and people are people after all you know people do the same kinds of stuff over and over and over again tyranny marches on and it doesn't matter whether it's in eastern europe it doesn't matter whether it's in the united states it doesn't matter whether it's in some other dark corner of the world or wherever tyranny marches on and the people who want to live free had better be ready for it well-regulated militia, ladies and gentlemen. But you know, I, that's that's kind of my sidebar for this episode. I hope you uh, I hope you understand why I why I go off on that tear. So Abigail Adams, you know, I really I, I've read quite a bit of Abigail Adams, you know, from the letters, and I, I haven't read it all. Obviously, there's a lot of Abigail Adams I have not read. I'm really grateful to this woman. It's one of those moments, you know. I, I wish. I wish people could live for hundreds of years, you know, because if Abigail Adams was still here, I would be, I would say, I'd say just simply thank you. Just thank you for, for so much good wisdom. And we're going to read a letter from Abigail Adams written on February the 3rd of 1775. And this is written to a Mercy Warren. And hopefully we can get through this letter in this episode. If not, we'll, uh, we'll do a part two, but we'll see how far we get in this letter here today. Quote, the die is cast. Yesterday brought us such a speech from the throne as will stain with everlasting infamy the reign of George III, determined to carry into execution the acts passed by the late Parliament, and to maintain the authority of the legislature over all his dominions. The reply of the House of Commons and the House of Lords shew us the most wicked and hostile measures will be pursued against us, even without giving us an opportunity to be heard in our defense, infatuated Britain poor distressed America, end quote. And by the way, when you might hear me say every once in a while the word shoe instead of show, S-H-O-W. Instead of S-H-O-W, show, I say shoe, S-H-E-W. It's how they spelt show back in the day. And I, I imagine it was pronounced shoe, but it, it means show. So if you, ever hear, if you ever hear me say that shoe, as in this, uh, this quote here, uh, quote, and the House of Lords shoe us the most wicked and hostile measures, end quote. Shoe means show. There's a there's some of the there's some of the English obviously is is very old and not in common usage anymore but it's it's actually quite spectacular that after 250 years the English is still exactly really what we write today it's not really changed much at all it's fantastic and good for us because I mean if it wasn't for that you know even fewer and fewer people would actually study this stuff than than actually do so she's talking about George the third. What a tyrant. What an absolute lunatic tyrant that man was. And she's none too happy with George III. And she articulates that here. Quote, the die is cast. End quote. And then, quote, the most wicked and hostile measures. End quote. She seems to agree that these are wicked and hostile measures. That, that basically the intolerable acts, the buildup of military troops in the colonies, namely Boston, uh, that kind of thing. Very, very wicked acts on the part of uh, the tyrant George III. Let us continue. Quote, Heaven only knows what is next to take place, but it seems to me the sword is now our only yet dreadful alternative, and the fate of Rome will be renewed in Britain. She who has been the envy of nations will now become an object of their scorn and and abhorrence. And as it was said of Rome that she governed other people by her will, but her own by law, they now behold her governed herself by will, by the arbitrary will of the worst of her own citizens." and arrived at that period which has been foretold when the people cooperating with the enemy of the Constitution by electing those to represent them who are hired 
to betray them or by submitting tamely when the mask is taken off or falls off, and the attempt to bring beggary and slavery is avowed or can no longer be concealed. When this happens, the Friends of Liberty, should any such remain, will have one option still left and will rather choose no doubt to die, the last British freeman, than bear to live the first of British slaves. And this now seems to be all that is left to America, with unfeigned and penchant supplications to that being whose delight, who delights in the welfare of his creatures, and who we humbly hope will engage on our side, and who, if we must go forth in defense of our injured and oppressed country, we will hope deliver us from the hands of our enemies and those that persecute us. Though a hostile should encamp against us, our hearts will not fear. Though war should rise against us, in this we, will, will we be confident that the Lord reigneth, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee, end quote. Like I said, she was a, a Christian woman, and, you know, a lot of people don't like that, so they're not gonna, they're not gonna teach Abigail Adams to their daughters. Instead, they're gonna use fake superheroes to, uh, to, uh, try to build strong character in their daughters. Good luck with that. See how that works out. It's been working out really great so far, I say sarcastically. So, Mrs. Adams here, you know, what a... What an amazing statement. It's a rather long-winded statement. It was a long paragraph that I read you, but we're, and we're going to we're going to go through this thing a piece at a time because it's it's really well written and conveys a lot of really good good concepts and and a lot of thoughts and sentiments from from our friend Mrs. Adams. And, you know, the first time I read this paragraph, my thought was, "Wow. Just wow. You know, what sentiments from a true patriot woman?" I mean, are there any better sentiments from a patriot woman that ever existed on this on the continent of North America? I, I sincerely doubt it. They're just fantastic. You know, and every American woman to this day should be grateful for such an early example of true intellectual exercise that Mrs. Adams has on full display here before us. I truly believe that. So let's start picking this apart a piece at a time. We're going to read it all again. By the time we get done here, we're going to have read this at least twice. But also, I'll, I'll go in sections here. Quote, Heaven only knows what is next to take place, but it seems to me the sword is now our only, yet dreadful, alternative. End quote. So she, she's realizing, much the same way Mr. Adams was in a previous letter, this, ver this sounds very similar to what Mr. Adams said a few episodes ago. They do not delight in the fact that war is coming, but they admit that it is, and that the sword is now their only option. Seemingly, because King George III is giving them no other option. What other option do they have? The king has basically refused the proposals. I mean, we read a letter written from Congress to General Gage uh, a few episodes back, and General Gage's response was, just, just give in, just surrender. And the Founding Fathers were not going to just surrender. And thank goodness for that. And thank goodness for Mrs. Adams pointing out to us that, you know, when, when your back is up against the wall and you have no choice left, the sword is an option. As, as a wise man once said, there's only one guaranteed way to have peace. There's only one guaranteed way to have peace, and that is to surrender. And Mrs. Adams was having none of it. None of it. King George III was on the march. Tyranny was on the march, and Mrs. Adams was saying, Not on my watch. That's why I say, thank goodness for Mrs. Adams. Let us continue. Quote, And the fate of Rome will be renewed in Britain. End quote. You know, history does repeat itself. And per, per usual, you know, if you, if you think it can't happen here, you're wrong. It can happen just about anywhere. And in Mrs. Adams' time, she saw Great Britain going the way of Rome when it was coming apart. 
And this is very serious stuff. Mrs. Adams is very well aware of that because Mrs. Adams is a student of history. Unlike most women in the United States today, she was a student of history. And there's a lot of other great women in the United States today that are students of history, and thank goodness for that. I mean, this country would be absolutely doomed without women like that around. So thank, thank goodness we still have some people like Mrs. Adams. But very few, unfortunately. Because as much as we talk about the Founding Fathers, and how very necessary and essential and indispensable that they were, George Washington, very much the indispensable man. Could the Revolutionary War have been won without him? I don't think so. You take just that one man out of the equation, and it's over. I firmly believe that. A study of history tells me that. But kind of the untold story is, could the Revolutionary War have been won without women like Abigail Adams? And I would say the answer to that question is no. It could not have. Abigail Adams was an essential, as were so many of the other women alive at the time, who supported their husbands so that their husbands could go off to the field of war and fight for freedom and liberty. And without that support from behind the lines, and sometimes in front of the lines, then I don't believe the Revolutionary War succeeds. And it takes a good student of history to understand that. Mrs. Adams certainly was, as were, as were a number of women during this time. Not all women, but a, gr a good number of them were. Let us continue. Quote, she who has been the envy of nations will now become an object of their scorn and abhorrence. And as it was said of Rome that she governed other people by her will, but her own by law, they now behold her governed herself by will, by the arbitrary will of the worst of her own citizens, and arrived at that period which has been foretold when the people cooperating with the enemy of the Constitution by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, end quote. A couple things going on in that statement, and it's very well written by Mrs. Adams. Quote, she who has been the envy of nations will now become an object of their scorn and, abhor and abhorrence, end quote. And the British Empire, at this time, certainly was receiving the scorn of the people in the American colonies because of her because of her actions, because of the actions of the Parliament and King George III, because of this tyranny that was being created. That can happen. When you take, again, you take the virtue out of a place and you replace it with corruption and tyranny, it doesn't take long before the people who once looked towards that beacon of light that may have been the British Empire to some people, they begin to hate it. And this is a warning not just for the British Empire. As always, the United States of America faces this very same problem. You take away the virtue, the historic virtue of the United States and the great things that the United States has achieved and accomplished. I've mentioned a few of those. World War II. The world is largely a free place in many respects, not everywhere, obviously, but in a great many places that it wouldn't be because of the United States. And then after that, the Korean War. Had it not been for the United States, the entire Korean Peninsula would be under tyranny right now. There are tens of millions of people in South Korea today who are free, for the most part, to live a, a, a fairly decent life by, by the standards of the world because of the United States, and frankly speaking, because of the South Korean people who fought for themselves as well. It wasn't just the United States. But if it hadn't been for the United States, would there be a South Korea? No, there wouldn't be. And that tin-pot dictator up there in the north would be ruling the entire peninsula. What a terrible day that would be. And somebody might look at the United States today and say, you know, what a, what a wonderful example that that was of America doing a good thing. But, you know, you st you know these things change over time, and... America stops focusing on the good things that it has done and continuing to do that. And I'm not talking about just warfare. There's other things, too. And the United States starts doing things that are very peculiar, very bizarre. And it doesn't take very long before the world starts to hate you. Be very careful of this, America. Be very careful. 
But Britain, you know, Britain certainly had this going on with itself. That you know, the people in the in the American colonies really did appreciate Great Britain in many in many ways. They were proud to be uh, British subjects in some respects because of the uh, you know the nature of the British Constitution, their 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 charters in their colonies, their ability to make commerce and do business, and the the uh, the way that the British Empire, the navy, and the army afforded uh, good commerce to be conducted over the ocean by securing the shipping lanes. By securing trade, uh, the people in the Americas were able to make uh, a good living for themselves in a great many respects. And that is, uh, that is a great credit to the British Empire. The British Empire has, has long secured the seas uh, to make way for trade and commerce between people, not just within the British Empire, but also outside the British Empire as well. And, you know, but in, in, you, you can look towards the British Empire and say, what a wonderful thing. That's fantastic. I absolutely have a great appreciation for the British Empire, of course. And then all of a sudden they start do bringing down this tyranny on the American colonies and all the rest of it. And then you just lose all of that. And here we are, 1775, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what that's what Abigail Adams is talking about. And then this section here, this is this this is very, very important. You need to pay very close attention to this. I'm going to say it again. Pay attention. Pay attention. Mrs. Adams has a very, very important lesson to teach you right here. Quote, And as it was said of Rome that she governed other people by her will, but her own by law, they now behold her governed herself by will, by the arbitrary will of the worst of her own citizens, and arrived at that period which has been foretold when the people cooperating with the enemies of the Constitution by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, end quote. I want you to stew on those words for a minute. I really want you to. If you have to pause the podcast and just think about it, I want you to think long and hard about those words. And if those words don't resonate in your mind and in your spirit as being crucially important lessons from history, then you are not paying attention. You are doing it wrong. There's something, there's a disconnect here between that message and you. And you need to figure out what that is and get your head straight. I mean, I could do an entire podcast episode on just that sentence. And I'm dead serious about that, but I won't. I'll save you that. And if again, if any of you, if any of you folks think I'm long-winded, believe me, I could be a heck of a lot more long-winded about this stuff than I am. You, you, you guys don't know the half of it, believe me. So what, what does she mean by this quote? And it was said of Rome that she governed other people by her will, but her own by law. End quote. That's what the founding fathers they articulated this concept of the United States: a nation of laws, not men. In other words. We do not govern people in the United States by arbitrary will, by the fiat dictates of the central power, depending on what mood the central power is in that morning when they wake up and decide to issue their dictates. This is a nation of laws. Law and order wins the day, traditionally, in the United States. Now, that's changing. People are giving up on that. And Mrs. Adams is telling you, stop it. Stop. And we are becoming a nation obsessed with arbitrary will. We are becoming a nation obsessed with the same kind of thing that was happening in the British Empire in 1775. That's what Mrs. Adams is talking about. She's talking about the arbitrary will of King George III and Parliament. And she's comparing that, of course, to this, this Roman example from out of times past. This is supposed to be, and every nation should be, a nation of laws and not men. We're not governed by personalities. We're not supposed to be anyway. We are lately, but we're not supposed to be. And we're not supposed to be governed by just what people want to do in any given day. I don't care what you want to do. 
I care about what's legal and what's illegal. I mentioned this on a recent podcast, and some of you folks wonder, why do I mention some of the things that I mention on this podcast that may not seem relevant? Well, I mentioned a few episodes ago there is a legal way and an illegal way to amend the Constitution of the United States. The legal way is the proper ratification process of an amendment as articulated in the Constitution of the United States of America. And then there's another way to do it. You get a majority of the House, a majority of the Senate, one president, and five Supreme Court justices to all say, do it. And it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter if it's legal, illegal, immoral, moral, amoral, doesn't matter. It just gets done. That is what Ad- that's what Mrs. Adams is talking about when she says arbitrary will. And not just any arbitrary will, but, quote, the arbitrary will of the worst of her own citizens, end quote. The worst of her own citizens. This is what Mrs. Adams was contending with in 1775. And what a great many of the founding fathers were contending with. And it brought the colonies and the British Empire to civil war. This is not a game. This is serious stuff. So when you, the next time you decide, and I'm not talking to everybody on this podcast. I mean, obviously, when I, I think everybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows this by now. I'm speaking in the general you, so I'm not speaking to you specifically who listen to this podcast regularly. I think, I think you folks know exactly what I'm talking about. But again, I have to speak to those people who cruise into the podcast who've not been taught this stuff before. Because again, most people don't teach this stuff. Uh, parents uh, sometimes teach it. Most of the time they don't. And the schools definitely don't teach it. So I have to kind of rail on it myself here just so, just so that people can get the lesson from somebody. You know, the next time you decide to get obsessed with personality, with people who want to do things, politicians who want to do things, never mind whether it's legal, never mind whether it's illegal, you just want to get it done. And you get enamored with these personalities. By enamored, I mean you fall in love with. You become obsessed with these personalities in government and politics. Quote, the worst of her own citizens, end quote. Because I will tell you now, if you haven't figured it out by now, I've been, I've been on this earth for several decades at this point. Oftentimes, more often than not, the people who get elected to office in the United States of America are, quote, the worst of her own citizens, end quote. And I will stand by that statement until the day I die. Not all of them, but most of them. And no, that's not me being partisan. As a matter of fact, that's the most bipartisan statement any human being could ever make. It's the most nonpartisan statement any human could ever make. Because I'm not picking sides. I am selecting the whole lot of them to lump into this category. Or the vast majority of them, anyway. Irrespective of side. I don't give a crap about sides, and you shouldn't either. It's about what's legal and what's illegal. She's warning you about this kind of thing because this is what she's dealing with. She's got this King George III character mucking around, basically pulling back the, the, the colony charters and just erasing them, installing a military governor, bringing in regular military troops to turn Boston into a garrison city, and then eventually that military marches out into the countryside and starts doing all kinds of terrible crap and starts a war, a civil war. That's what the arbitrary will of the worst of her own citizens gets you in the end. If you think this doesn't have consequences, you're delusional. Mrs. Adams is telling you this has consequences, and they're, they're, they're terrible consequences. And then she continues on, quote, and arrived at that period which has been foretold when the people cooperating with the enemies of the Constitution by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, end quote. Now, she's talking about a number of people. You know, John, there were a number of names that were rattled off by people with regards to politics in and around Boston and Massachusetts at this time. 
One of them was a man by the name of Hutchison. And I'm going to read you a quote from a prior letter that we read, or it's actually a diary entry by Mr. Adams from September of 1774. Quote, Hutchison professed to be a staunch friend to liberty and to our charter until his letters were detected. A great number of good people thought him a good man and a sincere, and, and a sincere friend to the congregational interest in religion and to our charter privileges. They went on with this Machiavellian dissimulation until those letters were detected. After that, they waited until the Boston Port Bill was passed, and then, thinking the people must submit immediately, and that Lord North would carry his whole system triumphantly, they threw off the mask, end quote. The mask. And in this letter we're going to continue from Abigail Adams, she actually references the mask, right? She does. Down, down here lower in this paragraph that we already read, quote, by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them or by submitting time, tamely when the mask is taken off or falls off, end quote. You see the unifying message between John Adams and Abigail Adams here? They're talking about the same kind of thing. Again, quote, by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, end quote. She's talking about people like Hutchison. And this is also another warning from history. Yes, I'm going to say it. You know what I'm about ready to say, don't you? I can feel it. I can feel it out there. You guys know what I'm about ready to say, don't you? Some of you do. You think this can't happen today? I am going to read this to you one more time, loud and proud. Quote, And arrived at that period which has been foretold, when the people cooperating with the enemies of the Constitution by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them. End quote. Is, it, is there any possibility that representatives of the United States could be hired to betray the United States? Yes. I've talked about it before. Why, Roman, whatever do you mean? You remember uh, several episodes ago, I, I, I mentioned this from time to time, actually. It may have been a few times I talked about this. That politicians, their families, and their children, sp specifically people typically in the federal Congress, right? There's 535 of them. These people live very different lives than you and I live. I mean, unless you're a very wealthy person, which you may be, I'm certainly not. But these people live very different lives than you and me. And it's not because of some great success in business. There's a few of them like that, but most of them are not that way. It's mostly because of the various corruptions and intrigues that they engage in, not just while they're in office, but when they leave office. A careful study of what a lot of these people do when they leave office will tell you that they get paid, they get paid by some very interesting characters. And some of these characters are not exactly what I would describe to be friends of the Constitution of the United States. Some of them are domestic and some of them are foreign. This is what Mrs. Adams is kind of warning you about. Or not kind of, she is warning you about it, more or less. By telling you about what she is dealing with, she's warning you what to watch out for, isn't she? Yes, she is. I'll answer that question for you. It's a rhetorical question. So the next time you decide to elect somebody to office, and I don't care if it's dog catcher or president of the United States, you need to pay very close attention to this. Where did these people make their millions? How did they make their millions? Because I, I guarantee you, almost everybody who's running for president these days has millions of dollars, if not billions. And I'm not going to name names because I don't do that. Then I would be partisan if I started naming names, but I never do. I never have on this podcast, and I never will. I'm just saying pay very close attention to where people make their money. And if you don't, if you don't pay attention to that, you are not doing your job, and you're very likely to be an unwitting or witting accomplice in this statement right here, quote, electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, end quote. 
And what does she say about those people who elect those to represent them who are hired to betray them? Quote, the enemies of the Constitution, end quote. This is very serious stuff, ladies and gentlemen. This couldn't be any more serious. It couldn't possibly be. You start, wa you start entering into this world, you are walking on very dangerous ground. This is everything right here. And if you think that a tyranny cannot be established upon the ruins of the United States Senate, you're delusional. Because John Adams says exactly that, basically. He, he talks about that in some of his writings. And we're, don't worry, we're going to get there. It's probably a couple hundred episodes away, because I know what time period he wrote that in. And it's, it's, it's a long way down the road, but we'll get there eventually. And this, this statement about the mask, submitting tamely when the mask is taken off, she says, quote, or by submitting tamely when the mask is taken off or falls off, and the attempt to bring beggary and slavery is avowed, or can no longer be concealed. When this happens, the Friends of Liberty, should any such remain, will have one option still left, and will rather choose, no doubt, to die the last British freeman than bear to live the first of British slaves. End quote. This is what they are contending with. Are you going to submit tamely as General Gage suggested in the letter that he wrote that we read on this podcast a few episodes ago? He said exactly that, submit tamely. He, not In not so many words, but he basically said, just give in. Go back and listen to the episode. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what she's talking about here. You can either do that or you can die the last British freeman. And she decided, and John Adams decided, to take the step down the road of defending their liberty against a tyrant, against a military that was bent on oppressing them and killing them if necessary. That's why she says at the beginning of this letter, near the beginning of this letter, that the sword may be the last option. And it may be the option that they have arrived at. There's nothing else left to do except choose one direction or the other. Become a slave or fight for freedom and liberty. And there are people in the world making that decision right now. I talked about it in the first section of the podcast, did I not? And my question to everybody all around the world, but especially the people of the United States, going forward into the future, what is your decision going to be? Are you going to walk, are you going to follow Mrs. Adams down the road of freedom and liberty? Or are you going to do as one man predicted or warned about? He didn't predict, he warned about it. Are you going to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness? What are you going to do? Mrs. Adams chose not to take that last step into a thousand years of darkness. Thank goodness for Mrs. Adams. Now you know why I say at the beginning of this episode, this is the woman that the United States of America should hold up as a beacon, an example for every young woman in the United States to follow. And there's other reasons for that as well that are going to be coming up on the podcast later on down the road. Mrs. Adams has some very important things to tell us, ladies and gentlemen. This is not going to be the last time that we hear from Mrs. Adams, and this is not going to be the last great point that Mrs. Adams makes on this podcast. She's going to be a recurring guest on the podcast. Thank goodness. I wouldn't have it any other way. I would not do this podcast unless I could have Abigail Adams as a guest on the podcast. I, I, do, I do really like this line. You know, when she talks about when the mask falls off, and those who are hired to betray them, and so on and so forth. She says, when this happens, the friends of liberty, should any such remain, will have one option still left, end quote. And we know what that option is. The sword. She already mentioned it. How many friends of liberty do we have out there? I like to think that all the regular listeners of this podcast are friends of liberty, like Mrs. Adams, and would happily walk in lockstep behind Mrs. Adams in her defense of freedom and liberty. I certainly would. Because, you know, when it comes to the Founding Fathers, I think the vast majority of them were great friends of liberty. Perhaps not all of them, but the vast majority of them. That's, that's why we have 
a country today, the United States of America. That's why we have that great constitution that I talked about in a previous episode. Not a perfect constitution, but it is a good one. And thank goodness for that. I mean, it's it's just really a, a fantastic document that we're all very grateful to have. But, and, you know, and we owe that in part to, you know, to a lot of people, but including Mrs. Adams. Mrs. Adams is a very, very important part of that whole equation. I realize she was not there at the Constitutional Convention, but her uh, her influence, it, it, she she's like a stand-in on this, on this podcast for so many other women who really just um, were there the whole time supporting freedom and liberty while it was under attack. Let us continue uh, reading the letter, uh, the next section of the letter here. Quote, Mr. Adams is in Boston. I have not seen him since the royal mandate arrived, nor have I been able to learn any further news. I wait for his return with anxiety, even though I expect to be confirmed in all my apprehensions. Those who have the most to lose have most to fear. The natural timidity of our sex always seeks for a relief in the encouragement and protection of the other, end quote. Boy, that wouldn't really pass uh, muster with a lot of women today, would it? There actually is something to be had here. Quote, The natural timidity of our sex always seeks for a relief in the encouragement and protection of the other, end quote. So she's saying that the natural timidity of women always seeks for a relief in the encouragement and protection of men. Boy, it's not politically correct to say that these days, is it? But, I, you know, I, I don't think that Mrs. Adams was an idiot. I'll just put it that way. Does this woman sound like an idiot to you? Because she doesn't sound like an idiot to me. So either that, la- that last sentence in that paragraph is the, 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 the hallmarks of an idiot, or she probably knows what she's talking about. Anyway, I, I say that just to kind of stir the pot and see who gets angry with me. For saying it, I you know I don't I don't avoid the controversial topics. You know I, I don't know if um, folks out there have picked up on that. I mean I've done several episodes on the well-regulated militia at this point. Clearly I'm not dodging the controversial topics. And you know when Mrs. Adams you know throws a line like that out there, I'm not going to ignore it. But she talks about you know quote I wait for his return with anxiety end quote. These people are under a lot of pressure. Mrs. Adams is under a great deal of pressure. She is concerned for the safety and well-being of her husband and her children, because she knows the consequences. She's a student of history. She knows how these things end sometimes, right? If this thing goes south in a really bad way, her husband could be dragged out of her house and shot in the front yard by British soldiers. Her house could be burned to the ground by British soldiers. Her children put in danger, caught in the crossfire, shot and killed, who knows what. Who knows what was going through this woman's mind? Because unlike unlike a lot of women today, this, this was not a woman who was blissfully ignorant. This was, again, a student of history. And that's why it's so important to be a student of history, so you don't walk around being blissfully ignorant. Let us continue the next section of this letter. Quote, He laughed at my fears and in some measure dispelled them, made me see that we were not called either rebels or traitors, told me that there was no other news by this ship, and he still thought that their fears might have weight with them. I would not have my friend imagined that, with all my fears and apprehensions, I would give up one iota of our rights and privileges. I think upon the maturest deliberation, I can say, dreadful as the day would be, I had rather see the sword drawn. Let these truths, says the admired farmer, be indelibly impressed on our minds that we cannot be happy without being free, that we cannot be free without being secure in our property, that we cannot be secure in our property if without our consent others may by right take it away. 
We know too well the blessings of freedom to tamely resign it, and there really seems to be a ray of light breaking through the palpable darkness which has for so long a time darkened our hemisphere and threatened to overwhelm us in one common ruin. And I cannot but hope, with you, for more favorable scenes and brighter days. Lord North has luckily thought of a new explanation of his Neroism. Whatever may be their secret motives to change to a change of measures is uncertain. But from their former conduct, we shall have little reason to think that justice or humanity were their motives, and must ever maintain a jealous eye over those who have acted so repugnant to all laws, both humane and divine. May just justice and liberty finally prevail, and the friends of freedom enjoy that satisfaction and tranquility which ever attends upright intentions and is the sure recompense of virtue, end quote. There's that word again, virtue. Just keeps on showing up. Well, you can't get that word to go away, can you? So, when she says at the beginning, quote, he laughed at my fears and in some measure dispelled them, end quote, she's talking about Mr. Adams. Um, Mr. Adams was trying to make her feel more comfortable, uh, to tell her that there, there's nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be fine, which, of course, is his, uh, that's his job, uh, I guess, as a husband and a leader in, in Massachusetts and Boston is to tell tell everybody, including his wife, that, you know, things are going to work out for the better. And he certainly wants them to. John Adams is working very, very hard to try to make sure that things turn out for the best. He's putting a lot of work into that. Unfortunately, of course, things do go very bad, but not certainly not his fault. And then there's this line here, quote, made me see that we were not called either rebels or traitors, end quote. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's a concern amongst people at this time of being labeled a rebel or a traitor by King George III, the Parliament, maybe the people over in Britain, etc. And of course, Abigail Adams and John Adams and the rest of them, they're not rebels and traitors. They're, they, what they're trying to do is remain true to their constitution. To the, to the charters of the colonies. It's King George III that is the traitor. Yes, I said it. Well, why, Roman? Whatever do you mean? What do you mean that King George III was the, was the traitor? Surely it was the, it was the, it was the colonists that were traitors because they took up arms against the king. Well, it was the king who first took up arms against the colonists. And it was the king who violated the British Constitution by seizing these people's liberties and their rights, their ancient rights and abolishing the colonial charter of Massachusetts, installing a military governor, turning Boston into a garrison city, etc. King George III was a traitor to his own rule of law. He was the traitor. And that's the way this works. Any time a, a leader, be it a king, a despot, an elected leader, it doesn't matter. Whenever they violate the Constitution, whenever they violate the ancient rights of the people, they are the traitor, not the people. They will, of course, try to call the people traitors and rebels. And in, in the modern day, they've actually added another name to the list. It's called terrorist. Yes, I said it. They, they, are, by the way, there are real terrorists in the world who do really horrible things. But there is often this desire to try to label innocent people who just want nothing more than their freedom, label them terrorists. Because they refuse to go along with the dictates of some, you know, tin pot dictator somewhere in the world. Whoever that is. And she says it here again. And in this particular section that we read, I mean, she she goes off and says it one more time. Quote, Dreadful as the day would be, I had rather see the sword drawn. End quote. That is to say, she would rather see the sword drawn than lose her freedom or give up her freedom and her liberty, etc., etc. In other words, she, she'd rather, you know, go to war than see uh, her freedom and liberty just completely destroyed. 
again, she's she's very very aware of how important that freedom and liberty is. Uh, a lot of people take it for granted these days, but back then, people like Abigail Adams were very very attuned to that, very much so. And thank goodness for that. And then this quote down here: "Quote: We shall have little reason to think that justice or humanity were the motives." End quote. That is to say, the motives of the tyrant. I mean, oftentimes they try to couch it that way. Uh, King George III and tyrants like him will be like, oh, I'm doing it. I've talked about it before, you know. Oh, I'm doing it for the people. I do everything Everything the tyrant does, he does it for the people. Why do you think so many tyrannical regimes have the word peoples in it? You know, the, like the, the People's Republic of China, the People's Liberation Army, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the DPRK. Peoples, 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 and, and all of those places are tyrannies, really, in one form or another. Varying degrees of tyranny, but they're all tyrannies. And the Soviet Union, too, oh boy, they were all about the people, weren't they? That's why they were in the gulag and killed by the millions and all the rest of it. Starvations in Ukraine back in the 1930s. I mean, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. Not it's all for the people, though, boy, let me tell you. Those tyrants, they're, they're, just, they're just men of the people. Sure they are. And I, I've, I've warned you also of that word democracy. Be very careful of people who use that term democracy. There's going to be a lot of people who disagree with me on this, but I'm telling you, having read a lot of the Founding Fathers, be very cautious when people start throwing that word around, democracy. It's part of the mask. I've talked about that before. The mask that we referenced again in this, uh, this particular uh, episode here. Quote, by electing those to represent them who are hired to betray them, or by submitting tamely when the mask is taken off, end quote. Uh, the, the constant, I, I contend, and this is an argument and opinion of mine, that these people who throw this word democracy around all the time, they're really just putting on a mask. And what happens when the mask falls off? You're going to find them to be much like that guy Hutchison back in the day that the Founding Fathers were talking about. Same kind of idea. Continuing on, let's read another section of this letter. This will be the last section we read. Quote, But if adverse days are still allotted to us, which neither wisdom or prudence can prevent, it must be a continual source of satisfaction that every method constant with reason and religion have been adopted to avert the calamities. But if innocence must be exposed to calumny and virtue become the object of persecution and the upright individual fall a sacrifice to his own virtue, still we must not arraign the divine justice which acts not by partial, but by general laws, and may have very important and extensive consequences to answer for the general good of society, end quote. A few things very interesting in here, including this line, quote, It must be a continual source of satisfaction that every method constant with reason and religion have been adopted to avert the calamities, end quote. Reason and religion. I, I, again, you, you could say that, you know, oh, Abigail Adams doesn't know what she's talking about. Or you could say that Abigail, is, Abigail Adams is clearly a, a, an intelligent woman, which clearly she seems to be. And she's on to something here with this reason and religion. I said it before, I'll say it again. You can't understand John Adams, and apparently you cannot really understand Abigail Adams either unless you understand that they are religious people. Very important to the, very central to their thinking. That's why they constantly use that term virtue. It's why it's so important to them. Hard to understand the revolution. Hard to understand the motivations of a, of a John Adams, a Samuel Adams, or an Abigail Adams without understanding that. And this term uh, that was used here, quote, But if innocence must be exposed to calumny, 
and virtue become the object of persecution and the upright individual fall a sacrifice to his own virtue, end quote. Calumny, uh, basically, I had to look that word up at one point. It was it basically means slander, some kind of a slanderous comment. So, you know, the, uh, you know, innocence must be exposed to calumny. You know, if innocence must be exposed to calumny, as she says, she's basically saying, you know, innocence exposed to slander. Uh, and then she refers to, quote, virtue become become the object of persecution, end quote. I've talked about that a little bit before, this concept of virtue being persecuted within a society. They keep going back to that. You know, it's not, this isn't the first time that somebody has referred to virtue coming under attack. And in their time, I think what they mean by that is basically this concept of liberty and freedom surrounded by virtue. Freedom and liberty itself only, you know, only being possible through virtue. But virtue coming directly under attack? Honestly, I don't see a lot of that happening in the Founding Fathers' days. I really don't. I see it happen a lot in modern days. It's 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 really, Abigail Adams' sentiment here is much more applicable in our time than it even was in her time, which is very fascinating, by the way. Uh, sometimes it's not just the case that that history has lessons to teach us that are applicable today, but sometimes history pulls out of the woodwork a lesson that's even more applicable today than it was when it was talked about in times past, like 250 years ago when Abigail Adams is talking about this. Very interesting. There is a quote further down in this letter. I'm not going to read that whole section. I'm just going to read you the quote. And Abigail Adams, I think, is quoting somebody else, although I don't know exactly who. And it goes a little something like this, quote, Who combats virtue's foe is virtue's friend, end quote. That is to say, who, whoever goes after the enemy of virtue, whoever attacks the enemy of virtue is virtue's friend. I found that fascinating. It's just one of those little, you know, fortune cookie moments from Abigail Adams. Uh, just a little one-liner that she threw out there uh, in this letter to uh, her friend Mercy Warren. And that's all that I have for you for this episode. And uh, again, reading this letter, what's my takeaway? My takeaway is, is that Abigail Adams was as passionate, articulate, and intelligent an advocate for freedom and liberty as anybody else in the colonies for the most part. She was just as passionate about it as John Adams was. Or even a Sam Adams. And that man was, was hugely passionate about freedom and liberty. Samuel Adams was the father of the American Revolution. Abigail Adams was truly, uh, truly a, an articulate mind on this issue. And we ought to uh, listen to Abigail, Mrs. Adams. She has um, definitely got some good points to be made in this particular letter. And I agree with the entire thing all the way through. I, I can't find a whole lot from Mrs. Adams that I disagree with. She's just, um, she's just spot on. And I really appreciate her sentiments that she conveys to us through this letter as a guest on the podcast. So I'm going to wrap up with some uh, closing remarks in the next section. Let's do that right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you know, Abigail Adams, fantastic uh, wisdom from her. And she, you know, she is, um, even she referenced it in this particular letter, uh, the history of Rome and how Britain was uh, getting ready to revisit some of that some of that history in a bad way. Uh, history repeats itself, and Abigail Adams is here to remind us of that, because sometimes people forget. You know, people think that, um, oh, history is history. Who needs to learn history? But it does repeat itself, and recent events should tell us that history does, in fact, repeat itself. And that's why it's so very, very important to continue to study history and, and learn the lessons of it, uh, especially, um, especially in wartime. In the United States during this particular period of time, you know, I mean, the United States was really born in war. 
and it, it, it continued to be tested by war over and over and over again, not always of its own choosing. The War of 1812, for example, I mean, the United States may have declared war, you know, but Britain was doing things that really instigated war in the War of 1812. And so the a lot, number of the founding fathers, they lived not only to see one war, but they lived to see another one with the same great empire, Great Britain. And if you're trying to tell me that there's no wisdom to be had from the founding fathers worth studying, there's just nothing worth listening to. It's not worth the time, Roman, for crying out loud. It's not worth the time. And again, I'm not talking to the regular listeners of this podcast, but if this is the first episode that you've listened to, if you just saw this episode and you said, hey, why don't I download that and give it a shot? What's, what's this all about? And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't need to study this. I don't need to listen to this. It's not worth my time, you know, a couple hours a week listening to the founding fathers, the letters, and, and what Abigail Adams has to say and what John Adams has to say. What's the point? It's all just history after all, right? It's just all in the past. Let it go. Just leave it in the past. Problem is, is history has this way of coming back around. History does not like to stay in the past. History likes to come back to life. And oftentimes, you know, it's the worst parts of history that come back and make a, make a comeback tour and decide to revisit us. So it's important that we learn the lessons. I mean, why would you want to learn those hard lessons on the fly when the bad things come? Why don't you just go and look back to the people who've already been through it 250 years ago or 300 years ago, or a 1,000 years ago, and look and see what they did to solve the problem. What did they do? When tyranny is on the march, what did Abigail Adams do? What did John Adams do? How did they support one another? How did they get their family through it? How did they get their children through it? How did Samuel Adams get through it, or Benjamin Franklin, or George Washington? How did they get through it? You want to know how those hard times get conquered? Well, just listen to the Founding Fathers. And in good news, again, on this podcast, we make it easier than ever. Easier than ever to listen to the Founding Fathers and what they had to say, and to study those lessons. You know, because I, I've said it many times, you know, King George III was not the last tyrant. Abigail Adams really likes to go on a tear and talk about King George III and how terrible he was, and he was, really. But he wasn't the last. There are tyrants all over the world still today, and every once in a while they decide to go off and hurt people. And sometimes it's their own people, and sometimes it's other people. But they, they do tend to like to hurt people. There's something about the psychology of the tyrant. They enjoy the process of oppressing people and hurting people. You hear it whenever, whenever you hear them speak. And oftentimes, again, they put it in such lovely terms. They put it in terms of, oh, we're, we're actually serving the people. We're liberating these people. Or we're doing it for democracy. Or we're doing it for this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes you really have to take a step back. And sometimes that's true. Don't get me wrong. There are times where that's true. But you can tell the difference. But only if you study history. You're not going to be able to tell the difference if you don't study history. Because tyrants, you know, tyrants are liars and, and, and charlatans most days. And King George III really was no different. And that man, you know, he would, he would talk about, you know, how he had the right to do this and had the right to do that. And he was really just governing because he was God's anointed figure in the British Empire. But he knew. He knew that he was doing the wrong thing. And he was, he probably knew he was overreacting, or maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just throwing a tantrum and he didn't realize. Who knows? But either way you swing it, King George III really did screw up in a really big way, and he, he harmed the British Empire when he did it. I don't think he cared, really, until he, until the colonies were lost forever, and the United States was formed, and then he finally realized it, probably. But we're going to continue down this road talking about King George III, tyranny, liberty and freedom, the opposite of tyranny, of course. And we're going to listen to what Abigail Adams, John Adams, Samuel Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison, and so many others had to say about this. And I want to thank you all for joining me on this podcast as we learn about King George III. 
and what was going on in the British Empire at this time, and how that relates to today. How is it similar to today? When people are fighting for their freedom in the colonies of North America in 1775, how does that relate to people fighting for their freedom today? It's all connected. It's all part of the same tapestry. And the beauty of history is that it connects the dots. So please join me on the next episode so we can continue to connect the dots of history so that we can see that tapestry, that picture unfold before us. And we can become as wise as we need to be to understand how the world really works, how government really works, and how people interact with that government, and what's the best way to do that. How do we avoid the cataclysms of the past? And how do we defend freedom and liberty from tyranny on the march? The Founding Fathers are going to answer that question for us. Good news, you don't have to put together a think tank and figure it out. It's already been done! So, I look forward to that. The continued discussion about that with you folks on our study group here on this podcast. And so, with all that said, please join me here next time. And this is Roman, signing off. Thank you.